0: Good morning. It is an incredible opportunity and privilege to be able to bring God's word this morning, something that I'm just so thankful for. Being in the military for 26 years, being at um, churches just for about two years at a time and then leaving the next uh, church, never really getting a chance to really plant, never, never, never thought that I would be able to um, be in a position where I'd be at an elder at a church, let alone an elder at this church. And the uh, Lord has um, uh, just really granted uh, a desire that uh, uh, both Patty and I had just to be um, in a church and just to be serving uh, in this capacity. And thank you. It's just been a, I just don't take it for granted. It is indeed the, the highest calling um, that uh, I've ever had. And it is just, um, I just love it, love, love uh Presenting the word to people who love to have it uh, taught and presented, and, and just really thank you for that. Um, if I don't do a good job uh, today, uh, Josh called me last night in the other class, and he's not feeling well, so I get to present it again in the next hour, so this is uh, just kind of a, a practice session, okay? Open, if you would, in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Um, Good to have Jonathan and Carolyn today. Um, We have a handout in the back. If you didn't get a handout, please get that. And that's our our routine here. Why should a father or mother be anxious to instruct and direct a son or daughter's life or journey? You know, why why is that a concern? An old saint said this, uh, because he has seen more of life, more of its mystery, its peril, its tragedy. Therefore, his heart yearns to preserve the young from danger. You know, experience calls out, doesn't it? Many of us are old like me, and we know all of the stuff that's out there that that can tangle up a a young heart. You know, we're going to cover a lot of passages today, I intentionally don't put them up on PowerPoint slides because I want us to be in the practice of of going through our Bibles and getting familiar with those Bibles. So please, if we have time, to shuffle through and and open up those portions of Scriptures that relate to the Proverbs. That's my intention. Let's read the entire chapter 4 just to get an idea of of what Solomon is is really driving home to us uh, this day. This is first plea, one through nine, knowing God's word. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching, and do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender, and the only son in the sight of my mom, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget or turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she'll watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all of your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her. She's going to exalt you. She'll honor you if you embrace her. She'll place on your head a garland of grace. She'll present you with a crown of beauty. Here's the second plea, trusting in God's providence. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings in the years of your life. There are going to be many. I've directed you in the way of wisdom, and I've led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps won't be impeded, and if you run, you're not going to stumble. Take hold of instruction Do not let go, guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it, do not pass by it, turn away from it, pass on for the wicked. They can't sleep unless they do evil. And they're robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble, for they eat bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous... They're like the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness, and they don't know over what they stumble. Here's Solomon's third plea, obeying God's will. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and "'Health to all their body. "'Watch over your heart with all diligence. "'From it flow the springs of life. "'Put away from you a deceitful mouth "'and put devious speech far from you "'and let your eyes look directly ahead. "'Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. "'Watch the path of your feet "'and all your ways will be established.' Do not turn to the right nor to the left turn your foot from evil you know there are two kinds of love right when you're bringing up kids in the home two kinds of love the the natural love the love that cares for the physical needs it's like the dad going home out right and and working and bringing home money to pay for the food and a roof over the house and and all of the physical needs. And then there's the spiritual love. The love that's concerned for the spiritual needs of the household. And this chapter is, is focusing on the spiritual needs. Especially for the, the young ones in the home. But but certainly the discipleship includes everyone. Uh, for the husband, his concern for his wife. And for all the children regardless of the age. As long as they're under the protection of, of, of that that husband and the wife and her concern for the family and and her concern even for her husband. There's there's responsibilities there, dual responsibilities for both the husband and wife if you're married. Look at the chapter real quick before we get into it. I mean, just let's let's take a step back. There's there's positive commands, there's negative commands, and there's a bounty of benefits. I mean, it's easy for us just to read through and say, oh, that's just great collection of stuff that we've just read through. But but look at the, the positive commands. Verse 1, give attention. Um, verse 5, acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Verse 5, love her. Verse 6. Verse 7, acquire wisdom. Get understanding. Verse 7. Verse 8, prize her. You could even take one of those you know, color pencils and start underlining all the positive commands. Prize her, verse 8. Verse 13, take hold of instruction. Guard her, verse 13. Pass on, verse 14, after several negative commands. Give attention, verse 20. Incline your ear, verse 20. Keep them, verse 21. Verse 23, watch over your heart. Verse 25, let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Verse 26, watch the path. All positive. There are negative commands though. Did you see the negative ones in there? Let's start at the beginning again. Do not abandon, verse 1. Verse 5, do not forget. Don't turn away, verse 5. Verse 6, don't forsake her. Verse 13, do not let go. Verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked. Verse 14, do not proceed in the way of evil men. Verse 16, 15, avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it. Those are three negative commands built in right into that verse. Verse 21, do not let them depart. Put away, verse 24. Put devious speech away, verse 24. Do not turn, verse 27. Turn your foot from evil, Verse 27. And then look at the bounty of benefits. Now, these won't all necessarily occur if you keep these commandments. But, 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 but he's making a point that when we fear God and when we honor his word and when we obey him and when we are on that narrow path, there's a bounty of benefits, certainly in eternity, but certainly to be experienced here when we're serving our Lord. I love that. Gain understanding, verse 1. Sound teaching. I will give you sound teaching. Wow. He's going to direct our paths. Verse 4. Keep my commandments and what? Die? No, live. In verse 6. She will. The personification of wisdom. She is going to what? Guard us. Love her. Love her like a woman. In verse 6, and she's going to watch over you. Verse 8, prize her. She's going to exalt you. She's going to honor you. She's even going to place a garland on your head. In verse 9, she's going to present you with a, a crown of beauty. Wow, in verse 9. In years of your life, that's in like in chapter 3, remember? The tree of life He's using that metaphor again. Verse 12, your steps will not be impeded. Another bounty of blessing. You, you'll run and you won't stumble. I love that. Uh, Keep them, verse 22, for they are life to those who find them. Watch the path and your ways will what? They'll be established. You know, these are all general in principle. Another observation, chapters Two and three have been general, right? General observations. This this chapter is general, but then when we get to, to verses 25, 26, and 27, we're gonna get back down to brass tacks. And there's a transition in, in the book of Proverbs. And, and then when we get to chapters five, six, and seven, we're gonna get to specifics, we're gonna get to tactical, how wisdom should, should, should regulate the way we behave. We're going to talk about relations with women or relations with men to avoid. We're going to talk about paths to choose, the right path and the wrong path. So, so that's another observation. We're going to start with general, and then we're going to get into body parts, if you will. At the end of this chapter, we're going to talk about lips and mouth and then, and then other actions. So just another observation. The message title, Wisdom Perfects Our Path, or Pursuing Sanctification's Hold. You know, if the Christian walk were easy, we wouldn't see Solomon saying, my son, my son, my son, three times in this chapter, three times in chapter three. You know, we can't underscore the importance of this repetitious song that Solomon drives home to Rehoboam and the rest of his family. You know, Paul says the same thing in Philippians. So then, my beloved brethren, just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but in my absence, work out what? Your your salvation, not salvation, your sanctification, your present salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. There's a cooperation going on in our salvation, in our sanctification. Sure, we're saved. We were saved. We are justified, right? But we're talking about our, our walk in Christ right now. And there's this cooperation going on where God is at work in you, but we have a part to play in our daily Christian walk. And that's what this, this proverb underscores, You know, salvation is entirely God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I get that. For grace, you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. But our Christian life, our day-to-day growth, is shared responsibility. So wisdom perfects our path, pursuing sanctification's hold, and that's our our focus for today. Here's our outline, and you've seen it many times. And really, it's the contrast between good and evil for the first nine Chapters, the, the, the good path and, and the evil path. And then we're going to get into the different themes in selected Proverbs. Then we're going to look at Proverbs 30 and 31. The theme statement, fear the Lord, beginning of knowledge. And that's our path. It begins with that. In humility, receive the word and what James says. Fear and humility, they go hand in hand. The key verses for today, I, I chose two, because one begins with the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and that begins with chapter 3, what we talked about last week, chapter 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge, and you acknowledge Him. That's the beginning. That's the acquiring. That's the trusting, and then using all the effort with our will to acquire that. And that's really the emphasis in chapter 4. But then what does it result? Well, look at the second verse. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. That's the effect it has on us. We grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have four kinds of people responding to the, uh, the fear of the Lord. We talked about that last week. Really, the first three are the unsaved, the the people that, 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 that maybe don't fear the Lord or they fear the Lord, but they're going about it the wrong way. And then for all the rest of us, we affectionately fear God, but we care greatly about minimizing our sin, and that's why we're here today, and that's why we're studying Proverbs chapter four. There's all sorts of wisdom, social, marketplace, intellectual, family, personal, Today, our focus is on spiritual wisdom. And the theme, we're, we're pursuing wisdom's path, the believer's work ethic. Every believer, without exception, must decide his or her resolve to pursue this lifelong task of uh, obtaining wisdom. It's not just something, of uh, letting go and letting God, right? I mean, this isn't the charismatic, hey, let's just, you know, we freely just get it all, and we are we're, we're in perfection, and life is good. No, this is a day in and day out struggle. We we grasp wisdom; and it takes work. It's a tireless effort. It's like mining gold with a pickaxe. I, I, um, uh, my father-in-law hired me, Patty's dad, uh, between uh, semesters in college. He says, "Son," he says, "You need to work." So um, it was in Melpitas, California. All those houses that you see off of Interstate 5, they have foundations. And a lot of those foundations were dug by me (laughs) with a pickaxe in the hand. And some of those foundation piers, they go down real deep. And um, I have calluses where I did. (laughs) They're coming back sometimes in the spring with our Texas, uh, you know, working in gardens. But like mining gold with a pickaxe, a believer develops deep spiritual calluses on his hands in daily digging efforts. Right? It's hard. It's hard. It's working our salvation or our sanctification in fear and trembling. All our efforts are motivated by the fear of the Lord, and that leads us onward on the path of grasping two foundational truths found in Proverbs three, five, and six. We we trust and obey. And that's really the the theme of of this this passage. And that's what Solomon wants his children to do. Is is grasp the word of God. Here's our outline. First, second, third plea. Knowing God's word. Trusting in God's providence. And obeying God's will. It's on your outline right there. So. So. Father's first plea, and really for a review, we can go back to chapter three, verse eleven, and and, and I think that sets the, the the tone for chapter four. I think the, the starting in verse eleven, we talk about the the the, the major component or the speed bump, inquiring wisdom, and that's. Really, the the trials are the discipline of the Lord. We learned last week that God puts us into a a mode of discipline, and I really do believe the discipline that we experience is what carries us through and and integrates and implants the the wisdom that we need, given all the things that we've talked about, fearing the Lord, trusting in His Word. And and, and what gets it under our skin are the trials that we experience. And, And we look at the discipline of the Lord, it's not just something that's mentioned here. It's, it's throughout the entire Word of God. In 3.11 it says, My son, don't reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. It, look at that. There's, there's two verbs there. Reject and loathe. He's talking about those, those hardships. And there's a value of divine chastening. And it, it's... It's in here in Proverbs 3. There, there's a, a divine chasing that goes on. You know, we found out last week is where do we go? Where do we find wisdom? We don't find it when we dig down deep into the ground. In, in Job 28, 28, find Job finally says, or in Job, it said, In the man, he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord. This is wisdom. That's where we, we find wisdom. It begins with the fear of the Lord. And it's, it's seen, as, seen as a possession and it's seen as wealth, something that we should go after. But it's a hard win, and it's easily rejected. Don't reject, don't despise the discipline of the Lord, or loathe, or don't be weary of it. Don't faint, as Hebrews 12, 5 says. Don't, re- don't, don't, don't re- faint or loathe or be weary with his reproof. You know, it don't come easy. Is, is what was said in the 60s. It just doesn't come easy. This double command not to reject wisdom assumes that following the path of wisdom doesn't come easy. And he includes both resentment, rejecting, and loathing, shrinking back, to, to really warn us that what he's asking us to do in chapter 4 is very important, but it's not easy. Job tells us in 5.18... Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, repeats the same thing. Even Revelation chapter 3, 19, there's the same admission. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So that's, that's something. We need to understand that it's it's hard, but yet it's very, very important that we go after it. So we have these three exhortations. This is Parental love at his best. A couple of more observations. The father and mother have the most profound responsibility and opportunity to lead their children. You know, a parent can implore a young man or a daughter to do what's right with the depth and love and concern. And you all have experienced that. You're, you're in the middle of that right now with your own children or your grandchildren. And this text, more than any other, brings out that urgency of parental love. And you know what? There's something beyond that, though. You know, some of you may not have a family. Some of you are maybe singles in the 128. Some of you may be just alone. And I think that parental love can be also categorized as a spiritual parental love in the body of Christ. What we have here at Countryside Bible Church, you know, Parental love is really important, and I've said this before, but the immediate application for all of us in the church is, 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 is what we have here in the body of Christ. We, we are all spiritual parents, and we're reminded that, right, uh, when we have the, the, the parent dedication with all the babies. You know, we fill up the whole front with all those beautiful babies, right? We do that every couple of months, and, and Pastor Tom, basically, we all pledge, right, to, to care for the spiritual needs, sometimes the physical needs, of those families and those babies. You know, I think of Mark and Kathy Shackelford being spiritual aunts and uncles to, to, to Daniel and Heidi Hamilton. You know, I think of them coming alongside and Kathy taking Kristen to her home once a week. And teaching her how to cook and instilling spiritual principles to to, uh, my granddaughter. And I think about the Alexanders who come along Heidi and help with the education of of her children. I think of the Tuesday co-op here that some of you are a part of. And you share and you you help with the Christian education of, of those children. What are we doing? I think of the career singles who are invested over here in the Sunday school. Or the discipleship that goes on in the high school and the junior high. So not only think about family responsibilities, and those are priority, and I'm not negating those or undermining those. I'm just saying there's so much more to the responsibility within the body of Christ for us to be mentoring and and, and, and taking these principles and applying them in the church. And there's an incredible dynamic going on here, Countryside Bible Church. And that's what's attracting so many people because that's indeed what's occurring here. It's an inheritance that each generation must choose to receive, it's a chain. And, And within a family, getting back to the family and getting back to Solomon and getting back to his exhortation to his child. Rehoboam and the daughters and everyone else could, that it could benefit. It's really important. If that chain is broken, it has disastrous effects, doesn't it, within the family? And you all understand that. And for the church, it's an ongoing commitment that we as believers need to make. Think about Timothy. Think about Lois and Eunice. And think about a grandmother and think about a mother. And think about Timothy and Paul acknowledges the fact that, that, that he was prepared. So, and then comes Paul, and he takes Timothy. And so now you have this transition from a young man that was conditioned, that was shaped in Christian education in the home from a grandmother who, who shaped a mother, and a mother who shaped a son, and now a son who's shaped by the apostle Paul. And, and now uh, Timothy who's an elder in a church who's, who's shaping an entire mass of people and we're benefiting from Timothy because he wrote under the, under the control of the Holy Spirit. So you see, the two worlds come together. It's amazing. It's Matthew 28 and Jesus came and spoke. All authority's been given to me. Go, make disciples of all nations. And it all comes together, and you have this, 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 this spiritual circle that, that that just just manifests itself over and over and over again to, 2023 today here, in many churches across the world, but here at Countryside Bible Church, one older saint said this by recalling his own upbringing and citing his father. The teacher both identifies with the present struggles in his son's life and reinforces the paternal dignity of his words. These teachings have stood the test of time. And, and you were all to, to show that, the reality of what he's just saying. And, and although Proverbs mentions all sorts of things in this chapter, the emphasis is on the love that causes a father to plead with his son to stay the right way. And it's a duplicating love and it's been meant to pass on. And that takes us to the father's first plea. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father. And this is a father in, the, in, in, in a family sense, and that's how it's being being used. Dr. Henry Moore said this about the passage, in his commentary suggests that Solomon, by using the plural, hear, O sons, notice that it's not son, but sons could have included his daughters in this company. That it's not just meaning son, but the entire family. So it could be solemn and urging the entire family, both male and female. And you know, the home is the primary place for education, for moral education, for all the other things that you want to instill in your family. And we need to take advantage of that. Maybe there are times we need to shut off the TV and all the other distractions, and even committing to sports and all the other stuff that takes people out of the home. Maybe we need to start creating more white space so that we're spending time. I had my grandkids... Friday night and Saturday, all five of them, just me. <laughs> wow. It was so fun, though. We, we didn't really have the TV going, and it was just me interacting with them the entire time. And I had the Bible out sometimes. Other times we were doing hide-and-seek. They love hide-and-seek. You know, all these expensive toys, and, and that's what they want to do, save some money. But that's Christian education you know and that's and that is so cool to be able to spend that time you know just just teaching them still tender and the only child of my mother the affection and pleading tone of these verses it shows why parents make the best teachers love their children you know i as a footnote i appreciate my wife patty she had degrees in her hands she had you know you know, a BS in education. She had her, all of her teaching degrees. She could have gone out and done so much. Instead, she goes home. She stays home. She personally rears both Heidi and Jonathan. And I know there are situations where you can't financially, but we could. And, and so she stayed home and just reared both Heidi and Jonathan. And, and today, I, we can see the fruit of that. You know, in counseling married couples, I encourage them with these principles and affirm them experientially with what I've observed in even my own home. And, you know, I'm an old guy now and looking back on the, the fruit of investing in both of those adults and seeing that duplicated. And it's, not, it's an axiom. Sometimes it just doesn't work because people have choices. But over and over again, I just see the, the, the worth of investing in those little lives. Give attention That you may gain understanding. Counsel or instruction or doctrine. You know, the the writer's going back to his childhood. He's he's flashing back to David and Bathsheba. Wow, David and Bathsheba. Oh, that's the couple that did. Oh, that's the couple that, you know, or David did. I'm not going to indict Bathsheba. We're not sure if she was complicit in all that, the writer doesn't really tell us. And I'm not going to get into that, that whole thing. But we know David was. But that was afterwards. So this couple learned, or David learned. And so now they have their little guy there. And they sit down with Solomon and, and really implore him how important it is. You know, and embedded in this verse is a profound implication, and we lose it all the time. Think about this. Both David and Bathsheba influenced Solomon so much that when the Lord sat down, Solomon in, in 1 Kings 3 5 through 15, Solomon was asked a question by the Lord. The Lord knew what the answer was going to be, but why did Solomon ask for wisdom? Was this just something knee jerk? Was this just something he did? Did he just pull this out of the air? No, this is a reflection back to how he had been instructed when he was a little kid. This is really a reflection on the Christian education that he got from David and Bathsheba. And we lose that. That Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6. He says, I, I'm a kid. I need understanding. Give me understanding. Please. And it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. I don't think Solomon would have asked that question using my sanctified imagination. I think he was going back to his upbringing. Again, another emphasis of why we need to treat our kids and our grandkids and take advantage. So the spiritual credit in this scene goes back in part to a time when David and Bathsheba were drilling into their young son the importance of trust and obey. An old Puritan said this, their parents were the ones who first inoculated, I love that word, you need to think of, inoculated a desire for wisdom in Solomon. And this was the main incentive besides... Solomon's prayer for wisdom. Another question we need to ask, did Rehoboam have the same hunger for wisdom when he was faced with that first big decision? Father's first plea. It's interesting. We look at the vulnerability of a grandfather and a father relationship, and he, I'm sure he opened up and said, you know, I really blew it. And there are times, David, to Solomon, where I just, I, I blew it. I committed murder. I, I, I lusted after a woman. I've made all these other decisions and and yet don't do that. Don't do what I did. So I'm sure there was a volume. And that's what we need. We need to be honest with our children and confess to them and say, don't do that. Follow the right path. Don't follow my bad example. In verse five, acquire wisdom. Buy truth and don't sell it. It's interesting. There's there's by truth? What do you, what do you mean, buy truth? Well, in Proverbs 23, 23, it says, buy truth and don't sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. It's far better to traffic for her, another commentary said, than for treasures of gold and silver. It's better to traffic for her. Acquire wisdom. You know, father doesn't hesitate to identify his own words with wisdom. You know, I... Um, and enamored with this. I'm enamored with this. I um, am from California. And there was, I love walking my dogs. I, I used to have dogs. And we go walking. And this couple was walking on a field. It was their own field. And they saw some what looked like garbage off on their field. And they kicked this, this old tin. And that's what was uncovered. Was these cans of, of gold, gold. Cold dollars, and um, they uh, uncovered a bunch of them. Um, you know, millions and dollars of of just just mint, just mint condition dollars in California. So I thought to myself, Wow, um, now it was their field. But what if that wasn't their field? What if they'd been walking their dog in California, and there was this big for sale sign on the uh, on the field for sale, and it was just a, a an awful piece of property. But they were walking their dog, and they found. They started finding these cans. Now don't get with me. Well, it's not your property. You need to alert them and tell them. I don't want that. Just we're this is just hypothetical, okay? Hypothetical, okay? What are you gonna do? You know? What are you gonna do? You're gonna call that phone number, aren't you? And let's say you don't have a lot of money like me, okay? So you're gonna you're gonna mortgage your house. Let's say it's like two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollar cash on this. On this piece of property, you're gonna you're gonna sell you're gonna mortgage your house, aren't you? Come on, you are. Be honest, and and you're gonna call Aunt Gertrude, who's in um, you know New York City. She hasn't heard from you for 20 years, but she's rich. She oh, why are you calling me? Because I want your money. I need cash. I need to buy a piece of property. Yeah, I'm joking with you, but. In Matthew 13, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found and hid it again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has to buy it, right? And, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he goes sells all that he has to buy that pearl, right? Because it's valuable, right? How many of us, we walk, we, 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 we're so concerned about money And and we're so concerned about our jobs and our future, and yet we walk past the Bible each and every day and ignore what's in the Word. You know, and and that's that's what Solomon is saying. We're talking about a man who had a worth value of two trillion dollars. And he's saying that that's nothing compared to the wisdom that's in this book. Still enamored by those cans of I wish I'd found those. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> oh, mercy. We need to go on to the second, second portion. There's one thing, though. Let's go back one. This is really kind of cool in the, um, in the previous. Look at verse 7. There's a quirky rendering here. And it's intentional for emphasis. It's, the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. It's, it's really, there's a deliberate, um, it's called an anacoluthon. It's a violation of the syntax. And it's meant to drive home the idea that the first step in the pursuit of wisdom is to determine with the will that you want to obtain her. You read it in your Bible and it's kind of weird. Um, the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And, that, and that's really what I think Solomon is saying. He's just like, you know, the beginning of wisdom is to get understanding is what you would normally say, but he inserts it and it's almost like the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. It's like he's inserting the will, get it. And he's just, it's just kind of an emphasis there. And that's why it's a little quirky. It's to insert the emotion of the will, get wisdom. It's, this isn't just an intellectual endeavor. Wisdom is the greatest possession anyone can have. And and the young man should make winning her the primary goal in his life. So, the first plea, knowing God, knowing God's word, and that takes us to um, the next point, is trusting in God's providence. Augustine trusts the past to the mercy of God and the present to his love and the future to his providence. You know, the, the psalmist says this in Psalm 16, you will make known to me the path of life and in your presence, the fullness of joy and in your right hand, there are pleasures forever. You know, when you receive his truth into your entire being, he renews your mind and we make the correct decisions and he directs our paths. And we're going to get into the whole needing to trust in him, not looking back but trusting in His providence. And I think that's what what gums up our our journey sometimes is the fact that we you know we're so concerned about the the effect of the decisions that we make that that, that it deters us. And, and we just need to be concerned about following the right path and letting God take care of all of the the problems that those decisions might make. So it's a willing to trust and not looking back. And this is really an opening peal to listen, the first three verses. Hear, my son, take hold of instruction, verse 13. Don't let her go, guard her. And our problem is is that we let the lessons of wisdom slip right through our little fingers, and we lose them. You know, I was at a banquet, um, a dinner on, on uh, Thursday night, and um, Michael Hansen's son, Noah, was, was there. And a um, little cute little guy, only a couple months old. And um, so I was doing my little you know Googling thing at him. And um, I put my hand out, and little guy put his, his, his hand around my finger. And, you know, it was only a couple months old, I think December baby. And he held on tight. You know, and you think about just a little baby... And he held on tight, you know, and for his mass and his age, you know, he would not let go of my little finger. And I thought, wow, that's a really good example of a little boy, you know, that age and just holding tight to my finger, you know, and and, and God wants us to, to keep ourselves in his love, you know, and that's what Jude 21 says, you know building ourselves up in the most holy faith, Jude 21, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. God wants us to to not be concerned about what's happening around us. He wants us to stay on that path. And and in Jude 23, it says, He will keep us. We are to to keep on that path, but He has promised to keep us. Isn't that cool? Again, that, that dual theme that i was talking about earlier in our in our walk with the lord it's not just god keeping us but he commands us to keep ourselves in the love of god so it's an open appeal to listen to the word for us to stay on that path and then an exhortation to refrain from evil from verses 14 to 19 and this is the doctrine of the two paths, and that dominates this, this section right here. The father guides his son in the way of wisdom along straight paths. You know, he must not set his 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 foot off of that path. You know, the wicked, they commit, you know, violent crimes. So the 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 father's gonna say a bunch of negatives here. Remember, we talked about the negatives, there's a whole concentration right here, starting in verse 14. Don't enter the path. Don't proceed. Avoid it. Don't pass. Don't stop. Go. You know, it's like Monopoly. Get away from there. Turn away from it. Pass on. What did Christ say in Matthew 17, 13? He gives the same warnings. There's really elements of, the, of, the, of his great sermon in here. Enter through the narrow gate. Stay on that narrow path. You know, the gate is wide, and, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are few that pass through that. No, many pass through it. The wicked do. And then he goes on and gives us a commentary about the wicked. We've already read through that. And, and this passage presents vivid colors is what the wicked participate in. Son, don't do that. They're they're bent for crime. This is bad news. You're going to shorten your life. You are going to die. And they eat and drink and sleep. Corruption. But I like verse 18. I love this. I said this to someone last week. Your path is a path of righteous. Your path is the light of dawn. You shine Brighter and brighter into the full day. You should, if you, you knew someone that you love or you're discipling and they're growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you should personalize that verse to them and encourage them. It's a great pass, passage to personalize. The righteous walk in the safe light of day, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. Deep darkness. We have to move on. The third play, plea, obeying God's will. This is the third appeal. And, and in this remaining section, there's a spiritual inventory. This is, this is really our application. This is where we need to kind of examine our own selves, I think. Where are we in all of this? And it goes from the, really from the just some general principles that we're going to get some pretty specific here. We're going to get really prince. We're going to get really evasive um, in our own lives, as this Solomon is. And, and, and we're talking about staying on the path. I, 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 my, my, I love, one of the best thing that I ever hiked, and I think I said this last week, is the John Muir Trail. The most amazing trail in the world is the John Muir Trail. It starts in Yosemite Valley. And it ends up in uh, on the top of Mount Whitney. Most beautiful scenery that I've ever experienced. About 220 miles. Uh, just gorgeous. Uh, did it in two weeks with Ray Maringer, A really good friend of mine. Going to try to do it again um, before this year, year is out. But there are some. They have um, the rangers basically will bring supplies into the ranger stations. And they bring them in on mules. And so this trail has been... Been used so much by those mules, they they wear these trails, and the trails sometimes the paths have been worn so much that they they are they are routed about like six, seven, eight, nine inches deep, and they are straight paths. And and if you get, you have to almost walk over here and out of the path, you know. And it's not all like that, but there's certain sections where you have these really, really deep ruts. And and that's really what Solomon's saying, stay in that rut. Stay in the scripture rut. Don't get out of it. And, and that's what I visualize when, when, I'm, when I'm reading his, his, his point. Don't go to the right or to the left. Don't, don't, don't take the effort to get up out of that little rut and go here and there. And there's nothing, there's, you know, the Republicans aren't on the right and the liberals and the Democrats aren't on the left, okay? So don't try to, you know, it's not that. It, the, the focus is, is staying on the path. And, and that's what the Solomon the, the is trying to do here. And in Deuteronomy 5.32, so you shall observe all that you do, just as the Lord God has commanded. Don't turn aside to the right or to the left. Deuteronomy 17.11, You know, stick to the law, don't go to the right or to the left. Deuteronomy 28.14, Don't turn aside. From the words that I'm commanding you, don't go to the right or to the left. Joshua 23, 6. Be very firm. Keep all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn. What? To the right or left. Ooh, you got it. That's great. That's that's really the, the emphasis here. So one shouldn't be distracted from the way of wisdom is really another way of saying it. Keep wisdom's course. That's basically what it's saying. You know, do nothing that will keep you from going one direction or the other. Give attention to my words, verse 20. Incline your ear to my sayings. You know, what's coming into your ear may influence you getting out of that rutted path. Ephesians 5, 4. Uh, There must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting. You know, let no one deceive you with what? Empty words. How do empty words get into you? Through your ear. You know? Uh, Psalm 1 1 How blessed is man who does not walk in the counsel. How does the counsel of the wicked get into you? Through your ear. Do not let them depart from your sight. I'm talking about wisdom. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Whatever the heart loves, the ears will hear and the eyes will see. You know what's interesting? And we have time. When I went with my parents, we drove across the United States um, on a thing called Route 66, Route 66 from Chicago to the Santa Monica Pier. And you know what was amazing? Uh, every night, we ended up staying at a motel that had a swimming pool. Honest. Every night, we, we stayed at a motel that had a swimming pool. Now, was that by accident? No. There was a screaming kid in the back of the car that said, we need to go to a hotel or motel with a swimming pool. Every, you know, and that kid screamed over and over and over again. That screaming kid was me. Want a swimming pool, want a swimming pool, want a swimming pool. He also wanted hamburgers, hamburgers, hamburgers. I still want hamburgers, hamburgers, hamburgers. So my dad was hearing Swimming pools and hamburgers and swimming pools. So we stopped at every diner uh, going across Route 66 from Chicago to the Santa Monica Pier. And we stayed at motels that had swimming pools. The point is, is that he kept on hearing and it went through in his mind, and his will. And he knew that if he didn't stop at a motel with a swimming pool, he would hear it all night in the room and never get any sleep. But there's a connection in what we hear and what our heart chooses to decide. And and there's a really important relationship. So because of that screaming, selfish, Calvin-like kid in the back seat of the car, eyes and ears always experience cool water after long drives, right? Because selfish heart craved them each and every day. But whatever the heart loves, the ears will hear and the eyes will see. So what, what we're attacking and where we attack it is, is really our center of gravity. So we need to be careful what we see because we're going to either incite the heart to sin because it's the heart that sins, right? But we want to protect the heart from the things that are or can influence it. So there's types of hearts. There's a double heart, and we can't look these passages up. These will be posted online. There's a hard heart. There's a proud heart. There's an unbelieving heart. There's a cold heart. There's an unclean heart. And that's why in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. There's a lot of things that influence us, right? And so wisdom and getting into God's word, allowing the word to do that surgery, to expose our sinfulness. But one of the things we need to do is we need to be careful what we expose ourselves to and then now we transition in verse 24 to the, the body parts in verse put away from you a deceitful mouth, a devious speech whatever is in the heart will spring up and come out of our lips you know Matthew 12 remember what Christ said in verse 33 and 34 either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its what." fruit verse 34 of the same chapter you brood vipers how can you being evil speak what is good for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart your speech is so important conduct yourselves with wisdom colossians 4 4 huh conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity let your speech always be with grace so, Paul is actually connect, connecting wisdom with our speech being with grace. There's types of lips perverse lips, lying lips, flattering lips, and undisciplined lips. Do you know the mouth is mentioned 50 times in Proverbs? 50 times. And lips are mentioned 40 times in the authorized version. Just to give you an idea that there's an important relationship between what's in our being, our mind, emotions, and will, and, and, and how that reflects in our speech. And of course, we go back now the outline, and the practical illustration of wisdom applied, and it closes with the return to the path. In verse 25, it says, let your eyes look directly ahead and your gaze be fixed. It's interesting, in Genesis chapter 13, Lot lifted up his eyes, right? Right? And he said, you know what? That Sodom is a pretty wicked place, so I'm going to go ahead and choose over here so I won't subject my family to this wicked city. Was he walking a straight path when he made that decision? No. He lifted his eyes, saw the Valley of Jordan. He saw, wow, this is a really great place, fertile. And and, and it was watered everywhere. And he went there and you know the rest with Lot, right? So Lot chose for himself the valley of the Jordan. Genesis 19, 26, his wife, of course, she, 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 she chose that path, right? She looked straight ahead, right, when she was leaving the city? No, she looked back, and what happened? Salt. Psalm 101, 3, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. So the psalmist is saying, I, I'm, I got my blinders on. I'm not going to look to the right or to the left. Psalm 119.37, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity. He's, he's doing the same thing. He's looking straight. Hebrews 12.2, apollos if he wrote hebrews 12 fixing our eyes on jesus same thing i'm looking straight the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and set on the right hand throne hey i'm going to follow his pattern i'm looking straight there is no joy in the suffering but there was joy that pierced through all of that right we're back to chastisement and the discipline of the Lord and, and, and its worth and and, and, and and that's the application how about hand on plow Luke 6 Christ said no one after putting his hand on the plow will look back what happens if you look back and you have your hand on the plow <laughs> that would be me you don't want to ask me to farm <laughs> I want to take a selfie. (laughs) That would be me. (laughs) How about Peter out on the ocean? He's looking at his Lord. Was he he looking straight ahead when all of a sudden, what was he doing? Oh, wow, I'm walking on water. Then he sank. (laughs) I would probably sink too. I don't want to trash Peter. That was pretty gutsy of him to get out of that boat in the first place. And then Proverbs 3, 6, in all your ways acknowledge him. Same deal. We ponder way, we make level. You know, if we're walking the way of wisdom, God promises to protect our path, direct our path, and perfect our path. And, and our ways will be established. He's, he's going to establish our ways. It may not be what we want, but it's what he wants for our life. And ultimately, we're going to be with him for an eternity, right? Psalm 119, 5 through 8. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes, that I shall not be ashamed when I look on your commandments. And I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. You know, let's look at the body parts again. The eyes are to stay fixed on right teaching. The feet are to stay in the right path. The mouth and our lips must shun using twisted words, and the heart must be guarded by sound doctrine. You know, if the son listens to the father, what will be the condition of the whole body at all? The whole body kind of genuflects, doesn't it? It kind of, it, it follows. If, if we have the mind, you know, centered, and we're obeying, everything else just kind of follows in suit. It's, it's really cool. The whole body will be healthy, 22 and 23. The heart says it's a wellspring of life. The, the heart refers to the whole being. And the corrupt heart draws one down to the grave. Wisdom protects the heart from that corruption. You know, there's a sad side to all of this, right? And, and, and I'm going to close on that. Rehoboam had a choice to either heed these words or reject them. In 1 Kings 11.43, Solomon slept with his fathers. He was buried in the city of his father David, and his son Rehoboam reigned in his place. Think about what happened when David died and Solomon was reigning. We already read that passage, and what did Solomon do? His knee-jerk reaction was to cry out to God and ask for wisdom. What does Rehoboam do? In 1 Kings 12:1, then Rehoboam went to Shechem for all Israel had come to Shechem and then they sent and called him and Jeroboam and all the assembly came and spoke to Rehoboam and King Rehoboam in in verse 6 consulted with the elders who had served his father when he's still alive. How do you counsel me to answer this people? There's no indication that he even went to God. So he didn't get it. He didn't pay attention. He 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 didn't have that humility. At least it's not, the narrator doesn't tell us that. In verse 7, then they spoke to him, If you'll be a servant to this people and you'll serve them and grant them their petition, speak good words, then they will be your servants forever. That was really good wisdom, don't you think? Here's a young kid, king, ready to make his first decision. And how do these verses of Proverbs factor into his decision? Is he fearing God? What did his dad do? In in verse 8, he forsook the counsel of the elders. He consulted with young men who had grown up, inexperienced men. He didn't even consult with God. What do you want me to do? You shall say to the people who spoke to you, your father made our Yoke heavy, now you make it lighter for us, but you shall speak to them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Oh, that's going to really do good. That's great leadership. That's winning them over. There was already a, a fissure there between the north and the south. The north was, was, was being taxed heavily and the south wasn't, the one and a half tribes. So this, this, this fault line is going to break. It was already there. It's going to break loose. Return on the third day. They come back on the third day. And, and, and he answered harshly. And he forsook. And you, you know whatever happened. We have no inheritance with the sons of Jesse. They responded. Go to your tents, O Israel. Now look after your own house, David. So Israel departed for their tents. Those ten tribes, they just left. And, there, and it, it was just awful. And that was the result. You know, I, we don't have time to go to James 1, 13 through 15 and 4, but, but for us, I think our center of gravity is, or I know where our center of gravity is, is in our will, in our mind, in our emotions. That's where we make those calculating sins which determines which path we're on. Let no man say that when he's being tempted... He's being tempted by God. For each one is carried and enticed when he is allured away. That's all baiting and fishing terminology. And then you have the pregnancy, you know, where sin is conceived and, it, you know, it brings forth death. Or, you know, and then. So those are the passages. And we really need to, i really like for you to kind of bathe in those, those passages in, in James, especially part of confession. And how do we address the sin in our life? But the application is, is that our Father challenges today and from this day forward to choose the correct path in life and make two foundational commitments, to trust God's Word and to obey God's Word, and, and then to actually challenge ourselves to dress sin where we need to, and that's within the inner recesses of our mind and our emotions and our will. And, and not blame God, but understand that, that we are our worst enemy. We do have the world system, we do have Satan, we do have dem- demons, but ultimately, God's going to hold each of us responsible for the decisions that we make. And James basically says, it's, this is where the nexus is, and this is where the problem resides, and that's in our own sinfulness. So, I'm going to close right now in a word of prayer, and um, look so forward now to these next chapters. Be, be, be really meditating on the end of chapter 4, and now going into v- chapters 5, and six and seven. And um, I hope this is becoming just, this is as much a blessing to you as it is to me, and, and just allowing the Holy Spirit to do this this work in your life. What rich, rich passages of Scripture and wisdom um, that um, we have to, to really embrace. It's priceless. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, what a wonderful, wonderful um, ability and opportunity that we have. There, there is no God Um, in the universe like you. There is no other religious system that offers what you offer us. Priceless wisdom. And and it's within reach. It's not something that can't be attained. And and may we just really confess our sin and and understand that the roadblocks aren't in the arduous process that it takes to, to embrace it. You've given us everything that we need. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have your word. We have the Holy Spirit. But it's just our own selfish nature. It's, a, it's just all the things that are part of our, our flesh or the vestiges of flesh that still remain in us. And we get in the way. And may we start valuing the, the very text of Scripture that's before us, even today, and, and confess that. And you use each and every day, even the beginning of each day, to, to really marvel at what you provided. And, and may we embrace the wisdom that you have given us. We are just so, so blessed. And I just thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Even the evidence of them being here early in the morning to, to really be here and to be accountable to, to each other as we, as we embrace your wisdom, as we internalize it in our lives. And we thank you and pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.